story. Wow, the sun is getting brighter. It is. I need a tan on this side. Hold on a minute. I feel it. Uh, the story is that scientists have made such discoveries with creating life or a, a life as they would call it out of dirt, uh, finding such amazing amount of uh, the trace elements, chemical elements in dirt that the scientists supposedly told God, we don't even need you anymore. We can make life ourselves." And, the gods, and God said, okay, well, it's fine. Let's see what you can do. The scientist said, all we need is some dirt, and we'll show you. And God said, oh, no, no. No, you go get your own dirt. Now, that is a silly story, but it has a lot of meaning. I love it. Because think about what elements, what features, what things we have that God did not create. Where can we go to get outside of God? Can't go anywhere. God is the creator of everything. Everything starts with God. Anything that we say, we can do this or we can do that, you have to realize this, just the starting point, the beginning point has God all over it, correct? Now that, that's a different, very far different thing than the concept that God is the stuff, or God's in everything. That's called pantheism. The belief that all of life is God and God's in everything. God's in every tree and every piece of dirt and he's gravity and he's the universe and we worship all those things. We worship animals and trees. That's pantheism. That's not Christian. Christianity believes that God created all those things. God's not bound up in each thing. That's a difference. Now, it's important to know, because Christians can lose the distinction, it's important to know that God did give us authority over this planet. And so mistreating the planet isn't Christian either. That's not pleasing to God. Being cruel to animals is actually a mark of the wicked in Proverbs. Just polluting and doing evil, that's not pleasing to God. But that's a far cry from worshiping the creation. The Bible says... They worship the created things instead of the creator. They worship the thing that was designed instead of the designer. This earth is not my mother. I, I, it's weird to hear that because you hear the opposite so much. Mother earth and all the things. No, this earth is not my mother. This is the creation of the almighty God. He created it. And we are not... One of the elevated animals. We're not just an evolved animal. Those things make a difference. Understand. So you may think, how does all that and the story about the scientists and the dirt relate? Well, nothing can be separated from God. Nothing can be said, this is God, and then that's not God. In, in an example, it's not very good because it breaks down, but you can't separate Bill Gates from Microsoft Word, you can't take him out of it and say, well, that's Bill and that's Microsoft Word. No, he, he and his team and all the people they work for created that. That's a creation of them. You see? I can't say, that's Bill and then this Microsoft Word, and they're together. No, he's outside of his creation. In the same way, 
I can't say the Holy Ghost is separate from God. Okay, we'll, we'll get into that. I can't say the Holy Ghost is a different thing. Here's God, I love you God, and I love the Holy Ghost. Do you understand? I can't, where can we ever cut out and say, this is God's turf, and then this is someone else's turf? That doesn't exist. You'll notice at the top of my page, I didn't say the nature of the Holy Ghost, like I did to talk about the nature of the Father, or the nature of Jesus Christ. We found out real quickly, remember about the Father? He doesn't have a shape, doesn't have a size, doesn't have a voice, doesn't have a body. God is a spirit. We established all that. And Jesus Christ doesn't have a nature apart from God. His nature is God, because he is God robed in or veiled in or covered in or tinted in flesh. All those words, that's God in flesh now appearing. So I didn't put the word, the nature of the Holy Ghost, because you'll find out quickly, there is no difference in the Holy Ghost and God. Here's a foundational understanding. Who or what is the Holy Ghost? John 10.30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. John 14, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. That's a comforter I'm going to send. Whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you. And someone say, shall be. Shall be. So, try, we, hey, everybody, how we doing? You awake? Say hello. hello. Oh, that's I'm glad you're awake. All right, try it again. It's like the choir. We've got to get on the beginning note. Here we go. Shall be. Say, shall be. Good. All right. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. We weren't really together, but as long as we said it, it's fine. Holy Ghost equals the Holy Spirit. You'll find people sometimes are confused by that and think that one is more um, godly than the other or more Pentecost than the other. But the, the word ghost and spirit is pneuma or spirit, movement of air or of the wind. Isn't that interesting? Of the wind. Think about Acts chapter 2 and you'll find how amazing that is. So when you say the Holy Ghost, you're saying the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about Casper or any other kind of ghost. We're talking about the Holy Ghost, really just the Holy Spirit. Look at Leviticus 11.44. It helps us understand this basic concept of God's nature. God is holy. Say, God is holy. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter quotes that. Chapter 1, verse 16, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Holiness is one of God's most clearly understood and basic nature. That simply means separated from anything that's impure and dedicated to. That's how we describe holiness, the purity of God, the essence of God. God is also defined as a spirit. Read this with me. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So what does that tell me? Hold it. God's holy. Got that one? God is a spirit. We good so far? There's only one spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 12 and 11. 
But all these worketh that one in the self-same Spirit, just talking about the gifts of the Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. That's one Spirit. Ephesians 4, 4 says there's one body and one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. Okay, put all that together. Ready? God's holy. God's a Spirit. There's only one Spirit of God. What does that give us understanding? The Holy Spirit is simply God. I can't in any way slice, dice, cut, separate God and say, okay, now then you're the Holy Spirit and you're God. I can't put them, how can I get them apart? It's like the scientist saying, we can do all kinds of things from dirt. And God's saying, well, no, get your own dirt. Because all of it's mine. Top and the bottom and beyond the top and by the bottom. All of it. In the same way, God is fills all time and space. He's beyond that. He's greater. He created it. Okay, so... Here's a beautiful illustration of that in Acts chapter 5. Peter said to Ananias, remember these, the couple that tried to sell land like everybody else is doing and give money to look good like everybody else is doing, but instead of giving all the money they, that they got the land for, they lied and said, let's just keep half of it and, get, and say we gave all of it. They won't know the difference. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, wasn't it your own? You can do whatever you want with it. And after it was sold, was it in your own power? Why hast thou conceived the same in thine heart? You have not lied unto men, but unto God. Hold it. I thought he said that you lied to the Holy Ghost. And then he said, but you lied to God. How can he say that? Because they are the same. They are the same. It's impossible to slice and dice and separate them. What does 1 Corinthians say? Know ye not that you are the temple of God. You are. Point to someone and say, you are. And the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Paul says three chapters later, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. I thought you were the temple of God. Yes. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Yes, that's right, because they're the same. The Holy Ghost equals the Holy Spirit equals the Spirit of God. If you get the basic, simplest concept here, don't make it too complicated. There's no way to separate out. God, that's your business, and you're doing that, and here's your job list, God, all the things you're going to do. And Holy Ghost here is yours. Can't separate those out. Okay? I, it's important to get that. And it, we'll go farther. We'll explain things that may be missing. Did the Holy Ghost start in Acts chapter 2? That's a great question. A lot of people uh, struggle with this concept and say, well, you Pentecostals, you act like the Holy Ghost should start in Acts chapter 2. That's when the Holy Ghost has happened. What's the Bible say? That's always the right answer. What does the Bible say is always the right answer. Not what I think. Not what your pastor believes, not what someone else says, not what your church says. What does the Bible say? God, did you know, didn't leave us in the dark? He gave us a wonderful word that's open to us. If we'll hunger and say, Lord, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty for righteousness, and you promised people like that would be filled. That's your, you wrote that down. I didn't write that. That's yours. 
So what's it say? Verse 2 of the whole book. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So, no, the Holy Ghost did not start in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Ghost has always been, because the Holy Ghost is God in action. That's God in activity. That's your next blank, by the way, if you'd like to fill in blanks. It's God in action. Find God moving, and that we call that the Holy Ghost. It's God's invisible work among people. It's not just a force, an unintelligent object, some mystic thing that just does stuff. It is God himself. Acts 20, listen to what Paul said. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, seeing that bonds and afflictions await abide me. Now this is, this is the Lord using the gift of prophecy in every city that Paul and Barnabas or maybe Paul and Silas at this time had visited. They were in a, their small group or a small service or whatever they did, even in their times of visitation and prayer. Somebody, somewhere, something, maybe, maybe the gift of tongues. We know for sure one time, Agabus, they said, when you go to Jerusalem, when you go there, you're going to be bound up. You're going to go into bondage. And it wasn't, it wasn't God saying, don't go, which seems kind of like a good message to me. If I told you, you get down to Brazil tomorrow, you're going to be bound up. You'll say, okay, thanks. I won't go. But that's not what Paul said. Paul said, oh, don't, don't, why you weep and break my heart? And I, you know, this is God's design for me. And just, it's the Lord confirming, not telling me not to go. Who was it that told me that? Um, where's Brian at? There he is. I, I, I thought I messed up a few weeks ago and I put down a verse. I've had my own little, um, uh, words with the blanks and the verse under it. And I put in my words that God shuts a door that no man can open and opens a door that no man can shut. But the verse above it has that backwards. It's the same thing, but it says, God opens a door that no man can shut and closes a door no man can open. What Brian pointed out to me said, look how this is. You put the door shutting first. And I said, you know, I did. I didn't mean that. He said, no, that's good. He said, because everybody prays for and rejoices about and testifies about open doors. Nobody says, thank God, three doors are closed to my face today. God, what a great God we serve. But isn't it the same God? Oh, boy. I know we don't like that. Whoever puts that on their list, I am praying and believing God for two doors to be shut today. But, you know, here's the truth of the matter. We are, we're, such, we're such children, even in our, as smart as we think we are, as advanced we think we are in, in our walk with God, we're such children. What we think we want, the things we think we need, God says, you don't really want that. You, what you're wanting is something else. You're thinking you want this to get to that, to get to that. I want to give you this, and not the three things back down the line. You know, here's a great example. Nobody in this room really wants money. Nobody does. Almost no one in this room really wants money. 
especially if it's cash that you get to look at and never get to spend. None of you do. No, no. If, if you got money right now, whether it's 500 or 5,000, you have something you want to spend it on. None of you want, oh, thank you for the cash. I want to keep this forever and just smell it every day and put it under my pillow and just rub it on my bald head. Thank you, Lord, for it. That it's not going to happen because you don't want that. You want the thing it's going to buy. And some of you don't even want that. You don't even want the thing it's going to buy. You want the thing that that thing you buy gives you. Oh, it gives you freedom. It gives you the feeling of the air flowing through my luxurious hair as I ride that four-wheeler. It gives me just fun. It gives me relief from that bill I have to pay. And it's binding me up. It gives me, oh, thank God, I pay that, that debt off. Whatever it is, it, you seldom want the money. You really want the thing down the line when you think, thank you, God, you gave me this so I could have that so I could finally get this. But God sees all along what you really need. And that's why he's a God of open doors and shut doors. And I'm not saying I want any. I'm not, don't take this personal, Lord. I'm talking to them, not to me. Because none of us want shut doors. <laughs> we, all, we want all open doors. All right. Now, you know what? That, that's one of those free ones. I'm going to thank you, Lord. I, I pray the Lord, and I pray this every time. God, put words in my mouth, and I've strayed off the page, maybe. But maybe the Lord had me to say that. I don't know. So look at this in the next verse. We have the first verse that the Holy Ghost is witnessing, right? Holy Ghost is telling. Every prayer meeting, everybody, someone's given a prophecy, someone's given an interpretation tongue. What's happening in the next chapter? When he's come to us, this is Agabus, he's known to be a prophet. He took Paul's belt and bound his own hands and feet. What a demonstration. He said, this is what the Holy Ghost says. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owned this girdle and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. What, what's happening here? This is God in action. Why are they seeing the Holy Ghost witnesses? Why is it the Holy Ghost is saying? Is it, is the Holy Ghost saying this and God doesn't know it? Or is it separate from God? Of course not. The Father is a Holy Ghost. Look at John chapter 5. Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto or up till now, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. Because he not only broke on the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his Father, making himself Equal with God. You can't say that. Look at Matthew 1, 18 through 20. Okay, wait a minute. Hold on. We've got that Jesus is saying that God is his Father. No doubt about that, right? Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Whoa. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, I'm going to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, don't be afraid to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. I thought that we just said and determined that Jesus, his father, is God. How can that be if Jesus was conceived of the Holy Ghost? Because the Holy Ghost and the Father are the same. Amen? Now, 
say this phrase, whose spirit? I'm trying to keep you, this is an interactive time. You get to talk occasionally, and we get to back and forth. This is the fun part. All right, listen to Joel. And ye shall know that I'm the midst of Israel, and I'm the Lord your God, and no one else. You know, he said that a lot, by the way. Nobody beside me, none else. I don't see anybody. I can't find any other Savior. I'll save my own hand. No one could, since no one will be able to swear by themselves, I'll swear by myself. And my people will never be ashamed. It'll come to pass afterward. Ooh, that's a rough phrase right there, because that afterward was more than 430 years. The Lord can pack a lot of years into one afterward. A lot of time there. That I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. What's he going to pour out? His spirit. Some of you are still not awake. His spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. That right there is very encouraging. That's why I, am, I only see visions. I don't have any dreams. It's right in the Bible. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Okay, here's the question we asked at the beginning. Whose spirit is this? God's spirit. But I thought the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. That's God saying, that's me. When I am in action, it's called the Holy Spirit. When I touch people, it's called the Holy Ghost. When I move on the face of water, that's the Holy Ghost. When I touch and move and connect and speak through people, that's the Holy Ghost. Who quickens the dead? Look at these two verses in Romans chapter 4 and verse 8. Both in Romans. As it is written, I, this is God, said, I have made thee a father of many nations before whom even he believed, talking about Abraham, even God, who quickeneth or makes alive the dead, and calls those things which be not as though they were. So who quickens the dead? God. What's Romans 8 and 11 say? But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit, that dwelleth in you. God and His Spirit are the same. Whether it's the Spirit of God, whether it's the Holy Spirit, whether it's the Holy Ghost. Who gives you words to say in time of persecution? Who gives you those words? Matthew says like this, For it's not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. But what did Mark say? But when they shall lead you. And deliver you up. Take no thought beforehand what you shall speak. Neither do ye premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour. That speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Okay, hold it. What does the verse before say? The Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. But the Holy Ghost is found in Mark chapter 13. Why is that? Because without controversy, this is very clear to understand. God and the Holy Ghost are the same. The Father and the Holy Spirit are the same. There's no way to divide these two. Amen? All right, I'm not trying to, to, in a sense, 
beat a dead horse or talk about it over and over again. But we have to understand, this is not established on what I believe. This is not established on what Pentecostal would believe. This should not be established on what this church or Indiana or Bible Belt believes. It should be established on what the Word of God clearly says. It's not it shouldn't be for one denomination or one group. It should be that the Holy Ghost is literally the Spirit of God. And cutting them apart is impossible. The illustration has been given forever in many, many years to different people. But it's amazing to think about just in a simple kitchen. Just in a kitchen. Mama goes and gets, turns the water on out of the sink. And uh, she gets a teapot and puts it under the sink, puts it on the stove, turns that thing up. Steam, after a while, begins to fill that kitchen, pours into a cup, and maybe the tea is too hot for a kid that's drinking it and gets an ice cube and put it in there. I've just seen a demonstration of the Godhead in that kitchen. God is everywhere. He's that H2O that fills all of space and time. He is, he is that, that water that's, in, in a sense, in this illustration, that water that exists in everything, in every organic creature, in this room, in you. When we see God take form and have a body, we, that's the ice cube. It takes form now I can see him. He who was invisible. Now he was, he was spirit and everywhere. I can't find him. What is his name? What's his son's name? The prophet said, if you can tell. Well, I can tell you because I, I understand. He was born of a woman. He was created. He had a beginning. That body, at least, did we understand? That is God and man in flesh. Now appearing. The incarnate. And what is the Holy Ghost, that steam that fills the air, that powerful stuff. It's all the same basis. It's all water. It's manifestations. It's appearances. It's, it's being emphasized in one way or another. And so in your life, you've ever had the Holy Ghost. You've got God living inside of you. It's not like Jesus. It's not the same thing. He was all God and all man at the same time. We are not that. The Bible calls it the earnest of our inheritance, or the little payment, just a little percentage of what we'll have when we go to heaven. But we have the Holy Ghost. That's Spirit moving inside of us. That's a, that's a Spirit of God. That's God's Spirit. Okay. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, therefore, cannot mean three different persons, or three different personalities, or three different wills, or three different beings. These are different aspects or roles of one God. They best describe God's relationship to people and not persons in a Godhead. The Father is a way of, when we say that, it emphasizes God's role as a creator, the Father of spirits, the Father of the born-again believers, the Father of the humanity of Jesus Christ. We recognize, remember, we know this from the very first lesson. Father does not mean that God is a man. God is not a woman. God's not black or white or brown or purple. Why do we say that? Because he started that. Male and female was his invention, right? And all the beautiful colors of people, that's his design. 
Right? And tall people and short people and all the different kinds of people. That's God's design. I won't go down that road too far. He, he, is, he is the Father. That's what we call Him Father. That best describes the one who begins, who creates, who starts. Son means the man, Jesus Christ, and God as He is manifested or revealed Himself in flesh for our salvation. You've heard, now you see me, now you don't. That child phrase. In this way, it's, now you don't see me, now you do. It doesn't rhyme as well, but that's what it was. We can't see him, and now we see him. The Holy Ghost emphasizes God's active power in the world and among people. Especially his work in regeneration. Or when people receive the Spirit as the gift of the Holy Ghost. Wow, that's beautiful and exciting. All right, so now I want to get to this part that connects all those pieces. I pray that the Lord will just bless you with it. But before I do, I've got to tell you this very important thing. The Bible says it like this. When Peter came out of it, when Peter came out of his mouth and said, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, then Jesus' response was, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you but my Father which is in heaven. There has to be a revealing of, of the oneness of God from the Lord. It doesn't mean you can't logically understand it and can't logically write it down and can't logically read it, but there's something about it that's beyond man's ability to push on you or to, or to have you read or memorize. It has to be, oh, I see that. I get that. I remember when that happened to me. And you think, well... Scott, weren't you raised in the church? Of course I was. But I have to get that for myself. I remember memorizing um, passages, I guess I was 17, 16 and 17, memorizing some things about the oneness of God that was part of our Bible quizzing at that time. And I'm thankful for that, even though I did it for the wrong reasons. I did it to win, to crush the other team, to be the best. And I all the time, hopefully, it was... God was working on me on the inside. You know, it's amazing. You can get, sometimes you can do things for the wrong reason, and God still have mercy on you. The very first revival I ever preached in my life, I was so excited, so prayerful, fasted, everything. I didn't know much what to say. And some girl was over here praying and crying after I was done, and I prayed for her, and she got the Holy Ghost. And I was so thankful. And the pastor kind of deflated me, took away some of my excitement. He, he said, well, Brother Scott, I'm... I'm glad she got the Holy Ghost, but she was really, you know, crying because she just woke up with her boyfriend. I was like, oh. Well, I guess she still got the Holy Ghost, so I don't know. It doesn't matter why you're crying. She still, still turned out okay. And sometimes that happens in her life, too. But I remember having that, those verses and quoting them and singing them and having those moments of, oh, that makes sense. Now I understand. No man has seen God at any time. That, I got it. He's invisible. You can't see him. There's no way to see him. So he made a representation of him. When he says all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily, there's no way all of God can dwell in him. But that is a, that's the, the quality of God without the quantity of God. I, I started to get that. And of course, the first time I was really challenged and had to go to someone's house and I gave, a oneness of God Bible study. It was a little, um, gosh, is it 
David Smith? I don't think what that's called. What's that? Larry Smith, thank you. And it was a Smith. I had it was a stab at the first name. So I gave that Bible study, and as we went through the scriptures, we had to read them, and he was like, Oh, that's amazing. What does it say in Isaiah? There is no Savior beside me. I see no one else. He said, How can he say that? I said, Because Jesus wasn't created yet. He said, But wasn't Jesus slain before the foundation of the world? And wasn't Jesus around? I said, Well, Yes and no. Are you talking about God? Are you talking about his body? Because Jesus is all God and all flesh at the same time. It's like light bulbs are popping. Oh, oh, I, okay, I see. So that was one of those things that happened to me. And I'm praying for you. If you've struggled or have a, have a history of other people that you love or, or that are confused you, or you're just confused because of things in life, or you've held on to old beliefs, I want you to understand the simple truth that there is no separation between God and the Holy Ghost. That Jesus is the only person you'll ever see when you get to heaven. To understand these things from the Scripture and not just from me. So let's dig into the veil and the Holy of Holies. Remember this? The temple that was laid out, there was the outer court, there was the inner court, and then there was a special section in the very back called the Holy of Holies. Only one piece of furniture there. The high priest had to carry blood sacrifice, atoning for all the people once a year. Exodus says, and you'll, you shall hang up the veil under the taches that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil, the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide between the holy place and the most holy. It was a division, a separation. You cannot go past that. Even the, even the priests who were able to go into the holy place and to light the candles and take care of the showbread, all those things they were able to do. They could not go there. That was a division. You cannot go. This was talking about a thick, heavy, extremely thick veil that separated. No entrance. Only way into it was to go under it. Look at Leviticus. The Lord said to Moses, Speak unto Aaron your brother. Now he was the high priest. That he come not at all times in the holy place. He can't just come whenever he wants. Hey, I want to go today and go see God and go to the holy place. Oh, no, no. Within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark. Just a minute before you go too far. The mercy seat and the ark. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The ark of the covenant, relatively small box with two cherubim angels, their wings facing each other. Over the top of that, covering the contents, was called the mercy seat, which is upon the ark. If he does that, God says, he'll die. Tell him he cannot come at all times that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Look at Numbers. And when Moses has gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of the of testimony from between the two cherubims, and he spake unto him. So we're talking about how God is communicating. Just get a picture here. This, all these things connect to what we're talking about tonight. Hebrews 9, verses 3 and 7 say this. Now, the writer of Hebrews is connecting that temple and that covenant to the one you're living in right now, this covenant. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. We sometimes call it the holy of holies. But under the second, with the high priest alone, 
Somebody say alone. Once every year. Not without blood. He had to have blood. Which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. This is a situation you don't have to experience, but they did. The most holy place, or holy of holies, represented the presence of God. It's the place where his spirit could meet with the people to accept sacrifices for their sins to be rolled away. And for God to speak. The Ark of the Covenant was the only piece of furniture there covered with gold. It contained the law, God's direction for his people. Aaron's rod, rod rather that budded, a reminder of God's miraculous power. It stayed budded. It was just a stick, a staff that was impossible to bud, but it did. And a golden jar of manna that just stayed fresh, a reminder of God's ability to provide. There's no light there. It's a dark place except God's fire that accepts that blood sacrifice. Look at what Exodus says. There I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. All of this was covered by a mercy seat from which God directed his children. A thick, heavy veil kept this place holy. That word is the easiest way to understand it is separated from the outside and dedicated to God. That's the simplenessness of holiness. It, without any, any extra to it, it's straightforward. Separated from, dedicated to. Right? Otherwise, if you have just half, you're really, you've got problems. If you're just separated under God, I'm mean, sorry, separated from the world, but not dedicated to God, you're like people who, well, they're very strange, but they don't have any really good reason for it, except they don't like technology or they want to live in a cave. There are people like that in the, in the Bible times that lived in the, the caves. We're not, we're not with anybody else. But they weren't dedicated to God. And if you're only dedicated to God and not separate from the world, your dedication will begin to be attacked and be lost because separated from the world protects you from the evil things. You can't say, I love evil and I love the world and I want to love God. Do you see how that doesn't connect? It doesn't. However we talk about holiness, that's got to come first. Separated from, dedicated to. So this situation, this veil, was that separation. God is holy. Now look what happens in Matthew 27, though. Jesus, he's on the cross right now. He had already said all his seven phrases, or I guess maybe this is the last thing he said. When he cried again with a loud voice, other writers said, it is finished. He yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was ripped in two from the top to the bottom. The earth did quake, the rocks ripped in half. Okay. Get that verse. Let's go back to it one more time. Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, there he is, it's finished, it's over, yielded up the ghost. His spirit, that's the spirit, that's a separation. Why did Jesus yield up the ghost? Because God can't die. Right? Jesus is all man and all God at the same time. Jesus, his body can die. God cannot die. And behold, the veil of the temple ripped in two from the top to the bottom. That was important. And the earth did quake and the rocks ran. Now look what Hebrews says about that. Having therefore, brethren, boldness 
to enter into the holiest. That's us today, not a holy, holy place like a spot in a, in a temple or a tabernacle, but into his holy presence. We have boldness to do that. How do we do that? What's our, what's our passcode? Well, how do we, what's our secret knock? No, no, it's none of those things. It's by the blood of Jesus. Ooh, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Whoa, look at the amplified version. By this fresh, new and living way which he initiated and dedicated and opened for us through the separating curtain, the veil of the Holy Holies, that is, through his flesh. When the physical veil was torn in the temple, the moment Jesus died, another kind of veil was torn, and that was his flesh. Mm. Do you understand the pictures that the Word of God is painting for you and you and me? The Holy Ghost is available to you because that veil was torn, because his flesh was torn. That Spirit of God but he said, I was with you, but I'm now going to be in you. I was, I've, been all, I've been here all the time, but I'm now going to be in you. Look at what Hebrews says in 8, chapter 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. The Lord says... In the same way that on Mount Sinai, I gave them a law, I gave them commandments, I gave them directions, but I wrote them in those days on the, on the tablet of stones. In the same way, I'm going to also put things in them. I'm going to write my laws and my commandment and my covenant, but I'm going to write them this time on their hearts. That makes them a people to me. I'll be their God, they'll be my people. What a beautiful thing. At the, at that time in Sinai, something happened. There were, there was lightnings, there was thunders, there was a powerful move of God, and also in the book of Acts chapter 2, there was also a move of God. But this time not lightnings and thunders, but a wind, a roar of the Spirit that came through. There was, there was a whole different thing happening now. Now the Holy Ghost that was with them is now in them. That's the same Spirit of God. That's the same God the Father, right? That's Him. Look what Jesus said. We've, we've started with this. We'll, we'll end with it. And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. That Someone say, that's the Holy Ghost which the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. So we'll put a finger right there and hold on to that spot. If anybody ever says to you, look, the Holy Ghost has been forever. You can't just say there's a Holy Ghost happening here in the book of Acts or in your church or in your life, and it wasn't before. No, there was a different manifestation of that Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost is always God's Spirit in action, right? But God said, it's, I've been with you. It's the Holy Ghost has been with you. But I, I've got a new thing for you. We call it the birth of the church. Why is it the birth of the church? 
Because just like the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary and produced Jesus, the Holy Ghost overshadows us. We speak in tongues, and the Bible says it creates a new creature. It's a new thing. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Oh, I, I feel the Holy Ghost even right now. That's the Spirit of God. That's the Holy Ghost. That's, that's here because a veil was torn. Just like that veil was ripped and no longer was it just one man and alone and divided. No longer was it was just a just select people even could see the outside of it. Now from the outside to the inside, you could see all the way through. Wide open. No wonder the writer says, now we have boldness by the blood of Jesus. Do you know that right now, in any moment, you can say, Lord, I want to talk to you. I'm coming into your presence. I want to be there. And th- let me stop any enemy voice that says, but I'm not good enough, or I, Lord, you know the week I've had, or you know what I've said today, or you know what I've done. Then immediately say, Lord, forgive me. Let the blood cover me right now. Take a minute right now. I, I know we're going to get to the rest of this verse. Hold on. Close your eyes. Lord, I pray with everyone here, and I hope to lead someone in this prayer. Lord Jesus, anything we've done that's, that's not pleasing to you, any sinful thing, anything that's not right, wash as I pray with your own blood. Cover my mind and my spirit, my thoughts and my heart with your own blood, Lord. And let us, Lord, be able to walk boldly into the throne of grace to find help from you in time of need. You're the great God of glory. You have not partitioned yourself off from us. You're not distant, divided, Lord, separated from us. It is not one man or some special person or some special prayer warrior that can go before you, Lord. Anyone can go. Your word says, whosoever will. Come on, church, just for a little bit right now. Lord, I love you. I worship you. I want to be in your presence, that holy place, Lord. Lord, that the children of Israel would long and love to have gone. They stood outside their tents and watched as the Spirit of God met with the high priest. Oh, they would have loved to have been in this place we're in right now. That prophet said, I would have loved to know how it's going to be when that Son of God comes, when that Spirit is poured out. When Joel said, I, I, I would love to see it when that day happens. We're in that day. This is it, Lord. This is that, Lord. Oh, Jesus, I pray, help us as a church to realize we have access to your presence. Powerful move of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What did Jesus say? This is important for you to know today. I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you comfortless. I have to set the stage for this word, otherwise it doesn't have very much meaning. You have to understand how pitiful, how afraid, how terrified those disciples could be. They heard the Lord talk. They heard him say things, but they pretty much only heard the parts about the king of glory and reigning and being in charge. And I can imagine how they got that part in their mind. Brian, open doors. This is an open door, they thought. God had a closed door that was going to lead to open door. In their mind, it was only going to be great. Can you imagine? Is this going to happen? Peter, Philip, can you imagine? He's going to go there and knock those Romans. I can't wait to see them in the ground. I want to see them laying on the ground saying, worship at him. He's the king. It's going to happen. Here we are. We're going to, they don't, nobody knows. We're going to take over this city. We're going to lead. We're going to, this is the conquering king, the conquering Messiah. He's going to have political power. It seemed to be just makes sense. And things begin to fall apart in front of their eyes, falling apart in front of their eyes. 
There's their, their, there's their number one guy. There's Peter, the oldest, the one that's the, the top dog, being told by Jesus, get behind me, Satan. You save us not the things of God, but a man. You're, you're, you're trying to stop me from a date I have with destiny. I have a date with the cross. And Peter said, no, Lord, we're not, you're not going to do that. No, you're not, not, you're not going to be defeated. No, no, you're going to be up. You're not going to be torn down. You're not going to be crucified, weak, humiliated, embarrassed. That's not going to happen to you. And the Lord said, get thee behind me, Satan. And then there they are. This is, there's questions. There's confusion. And Jesus says, tonight one of you will betray me. And all the dreams are falling apart. All the hopes are... Someone will, someone betray the Lord? Peter even says, Lord, you know, it's not going to be me. I'll always, I'll always be with you, Jesus. I'll never betray you. And the Lord says, tonight, Peter... For the rooster crows the third time, you'll get the, now you even know me. Look how things are falling apart in this room. It's like we came in on a high. We came in on a, we're going to win. And now the Lord says someone here is going to betray him to the Romans. They knew what that meant. That didn't mean, you know, just a nice padded cell somewhere. They knew that meant a crucifixion. That meant destruction of all the dreams and hopes. Matter of fact, it was so bad that even after the resurrection, two, not the disciples, but two members with them said, we thought that this was the one on the road to Emmaus. They said, we thought that he probably was the one. That, that is a consensus of the whole group. We thought that this was the one. We thought it, and it didn't turn out right. Now do you see that there's a crestfallen group saying, oh, man, this is going bad. And, I, and maybe I'm going down with him. Maybe, maybe, I've got a, maybe I'll be one too. I don't want to be crucified. I don't want to be captured by the Romans. It could be me too. I mean, the, you have to understand, this is a world of, 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 of people rising up, revolting against Roman power over and over again and getting destroyed. Some being just totally massacred. Others having a seemingly success for a while. The Maccabeans and others who seem to have some success. And then those guys being destroyed. That they are not in any way shocked or unaccustomed to this kind of thing happening. There is always someone talking about in quiet corners how they're going to overthrow the Romans. Someone whispering, someone planning, this is happening. So it's not a shock to them to hear, oh no, this is bad. And when Roman authorities get upset from Pontius Pilate on down, they don't deal gently. Not a court of law that you and I would like to go to. I'm talking about just complete, just bloodshed. They would take a man's house, tear it down, take the main beam out of the house, and impale him on it. They're not talking about friendly people. So when the Bible says, Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless, I want you to know they're looking at him saying, we are comfortless. We are in bad. You're leaving us. I don't know where you're going, and this is not going to go well. Jesus is trying to tell them, I will come to you. I will, remember how he started this passage in chapter 14? In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. That's, that, that's, God's, that's his call. Look at what he says right here. I'm going to come to you. Let a little while. 
there he is again, afterward in Joel, and a little while. Little while was horrible, painful three days that he showed up again. And then a little more while was another probably 40 days before the Holy Ghost was poured out. The world seeth me no more, but you see me, and because I live, you'll, all, you'll live also. Jesus intended and wanted them to understand, when this spirit is the spirit of truth, it's the spirit of God, it's the spirit of the Father, it's the spirit of Jesus. When it comes in you, the intent is for you not to feel defeated and comfortless and wiped out and empty and worthless. Instead, you'll feel like you are the champion, no matter what the world thinks of you. And they acted like that with great boldness. They talked, they spoke, they were inspired. They were motivated by, activated by the Holy Ghost. So much that they would say, these men are unlearned. They don't know anything. They've not been trained. Where do they get this confidence and boldness and power? It was the Holy Ghost moving through them. Last verse, John 14. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Okay, back, that is a lot going on there. Whoa, hold on. A lot of names, a lot of things going on. Not any, actually, not any names at all. Just offices and places and manifestations. The Comforter, that's the Holy Ghost, whom the Father, you call him God, will send in my name, that's in Jesus' name. He'll teach you all things and bring back to you. Remember, oh yes, I remember that now. Whatsoever I've said to you. Here's the simplest thing. Just like the scientist said, give us some dirt and we'll produce life. We don't even need God anymore. And God said, oh no, 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 no. You go get your own dirt. In the same way, there's no way to divide God. I can't slice him out and say, that's your place there, God. And then Jesus has this spot and the Holy Ghost is over here. No matter how we say it, we've got to be careful to understand there is one God. There truly is one God. I read today, a man said, those that deny the Trinity or the triune God, they act as though Judaism was correct. And I want to say, as far as the oneness of God, Judaism is correct. They said it from childhood. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one. One. He is one. Just one. That, that, that's what bothered them. That's what upset them. It wasn't that Jesus said, I am, I'm a friend of God. I know him well. I'm his son. I'm up there with him. No, no. You make yourself to be God. That made them so upset. Equal to be God. Mm. I pray the Lord has blessed you. I want you to close your eyes right now. Father, I thank you for your holy word. I thank you for the preponderance of verses stacked one on top of the other. Let them become a powerful foundation for our walk with you, our prayer time with you. And I can call on your name, oh Jesus, and realize who I'm calling about. The Bible says of all the family in heaven and earth is named, that one name, that single name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, you bless your people. Help those, Lord, that have questions or our concerns are not clear. Let your word bring clarity to our mind. Let your word, Lord, bring wonderful light to our understanding. Illuminate your word, Lord, in the only way you can. Bless and keep us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Someone say in Jesus' name. I bless you. I'll see you next week. I've got one more.
in this lesson. So of the of, of four, we've covered three. So we'll see you next week. God bless you.